you know, Boudreaux, he grew up a Baptist. He was, he was Baptist ever since he was a little boy. But unfortunately, he accidentally moved into a Catholic neighborhood. And he was in the Catholic neighborhood, and he moved into the worst time of the year for Catholics, and that is the time that they do in Lent. Now, if you don't know what Lent is, uh, there's about a 40-day period where Catholic folks fast every Friday any meat. They can eat fish and stuff, but not meat. And so, Bujo, he moves into the neighborhood. And man, I tell you, the first Friday he's in the neighborhood during Lent, he goes to the store, and he buys the biggest ribeye and sits out on his back patio and grills up this fine ribeye. And all his local Catholic friends get so mad because they can smell the aroma to all their houses here they are fasting Lent and so they called a local uh, priest and they said listen you got to get down there and you got to talk to Boudreaux because he's killing all of us so the priest goes by Boudreaux's house gets to talking to him said you know what you need to do Boudreaux you need to convert to Catholicism Boudreaux said well I don't know a whole lot about the Baptist anyway so let me try about that and so boy he takes him through some classes and that next Sunday he takes Boudreaux in front of everybody he sprinkles water on his head and he says Boudreaux you was born a Baptist you was raised a Baptist but I now declare you a Catholic. And everybody was so excited. And that next Friday, they thought it would be a big change. But Boudreaux went by the store and picked him up a big old T-bone. And he got out there and he was grilling up that T-bone. And boy, all the Catholic neighbors got so mad and so frustrated. And we thought, I thought he understood. We fasted. How's he, how's he going to be eating that meat like that? And so they called the local priest and he comes running. And as soon as he steps into uh, Boudreaux's backyard, he sees Boudreaux. He got a little bit of water and he's sprinkling it on the meat. He says, you was born a cow you was raised a cow but i declare declare you a catfish right now come on somebody talking about transformation based on declaration in the 80s we um uh, if you're a christian in the 80s you may have heard us or, or saw us as christians we put it on every bumper sticker we put this little phrase in the world but not of the world Anybody remember that? We put it on our notebooks. We put it everywhere. We're in the world, but not of the world. And that's actually a paraphrase out of the book of John, chapter 17, a prayer that Jesus was praying. He had interacted with his disciples. He had told them that he would be dying and leaving, if you will. And uh, as a result, he prayed to the Father. And he asked the Father to give them strength. And he declared that, and this, of course, is a paraphrase, that statement, but that, that, his, that Christians would stay in the world, um, but that we wouldn't be of the world. And let's turn to John, chapter 17, and verse 15. This will be our key scripture extracted from this prayer that uh, Jesus prayed in John 17. This is our key scripture for today's teaching. It says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus said, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I thought it was pretty interesting as Jesus is praying that this, that he recognizes something. See, when we became Christians, he didn't extract us from this world or this world system. He didn't take all the pain and suffering that happens in this world and, and somehow exclude us from it. He didn't transport us now that we're believers into heaven right away. In fact, he left us in this world. And you say, why did he do that? Well, because we have to have light where there's darkness. And as servants of the most high God, as sons and daughters of Jesus, uh, if you will, we we are points of light everywhere we go. But the problem with that is that we're still in this world with all of its wickedness, with all of its foolishness, with all of its sinfulness. We're still in it. Though we may not be of it, we're still 
in it. And he says to the Father, he says, but I pray that you will protect them from the evil one. So what's he saying? I pray that you will protect them from the evil one. Is he saying, I pray that you will protect them from Satan, from Lucifer, from Satan? What's he saying? Well, obviously, probably none of us ever have had just, boom, Satan show up. I am going to kill you. Oh, protect me, God. That's not probably nearly as much as the practical application here, as much as it is that this world and all of its systems have been manipulated by the forces of darkness. So that's why we still have such prejudiceness in this world. That's why we still have people that are full of perversion and wickedness and anger and hatred. And just because we're Christians and just because Jesus changes our life doesn't mean that we no longer are affected by this world and this world's systems. Are you with me? Say yes. And so the purpose of today's teaching, tonight's teaching, is to help you understand that though you may be not of this world, you still will be affected by this world. And that it's okay to have this moment where you look up and go, man, I'm so mad. Man, I'm so frustrated. And this stuff has affected me. In fact, the real reason for this teaching is to help you and I overcome that and teach you how to, if you will, cleanse yourself on a daily, weekly basis from all the worldly junk that you and I have to live in, walk through, go through. In fact, when you started this year, I would bet that just about everyone in this room, everyone watching by way of life, Live stream. I bet every one of you started January and said, God, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to make, I, I'm going to make some declarations. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to pray every day for at least an hour. I'm going to read the whole Bible through in the first six weeks of this life on this day of 2018. And each and every one of us dove into this thing. We made these new year's resolutions of what we were going to do and what we're not going to do. And here we are six months later, you do realize we're halfway through 2018. There are things you said, I'm not going to let my kids push my buttons anymore. I'm not going to let my boss push me around anymore. I'm not going to sit there and have these conflicts anymore with my spouse. You probably made these New Year's resolutions. You probably did really good with them at first. But what happens is over time, we are in this world, even though we're not of it. And before we know it, I'm going to call it grease, dirt, stains. The grease of this world gets on us. Now you're back to that same old attitude you used to have. Maybe you started back into sin habits that you never intended to have. Maybe you, uh, you've gotten a little bit more, uh, you know, critical and, and, uh, and, and, and anger, easily angered. Uh, you find yourself, you know, maybe not nearly as um, prepared for the second part of the year as you thought you would be by now. And maybe still struggling with some things. And I would like to teach you today what Jesus said. If you look with me in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said it like this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world. Hey, the fact that you live in this world... You're going to have trouble. Now, I know that grates against some of you, um, you, you guys that you know, really come out of a word of faith background and just say, I just rebuke all trouble. Jesus said, you're going to have it. He, you're going to have it. Why? Because we're in this world, but not of it. Because you work with people who are not um, even attempting to serve God. Because you do business in places where people are just being pushed by the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And as a result, the junk that's on their life begins to affect your life. You and I are in this world, and we will have trouble. But Jesus said it like this. He said, but take heart. What does he mean by take heart? He means be encouraged. That's true. That's what he means. But I think there's another little subtle piece in there. Take heart. 
And I think the reason that he's saying it that because there's a difference between what's affecting me on the outside and what's affecting me on the inside. See, I may live in this world, but I'm not of it. In other words, when I became a Christian, I, something changed on the inside of me. My desires began to change. I fell in love with Jesus. He began to have his Holy Spirit live and abide inside of me. And now all of a sudden, before I was a Christian, like I've told you before, I didn't care if I lied to you. I didn't care if I punched you in the face. If you did me dirty, I'm going to do you dirty. And then when I became a Christian, the Spirit of the Lord moved inside of my heart and began to live inside of me and now I'm convicted. Now I feel bad about lying to you. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord's there. The inside has changed. Even though I live in a world that affects me on the outside and I believe what Jesus is also insinuating here is though you may be affected on the outside, don't let your heart get affected. Take heart, be encouraged, protect your heart. Because what's on the outside, the moment it moves on into the inside, it begins to not just affect you, uh, not just affect everything around you, but the depths of who you are. And then he goes on to say, I have overcome the world. Isn't that interesting? He says, you're going to have trouble in this life, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I've over, well, that's great, Jesus, but I'm still in the world. No, actually what he's saying, and, and you got to understand, he's already communicated to the disciples at this point. He said to them, listen, I am in you and you are in me. I am in you and you are in me. So when he says, I've overcome the world, guess what he's saying to us? If I've overcome the world, you've also overcome. Why? Because I'm in you and you are in me. And not only that, because we're joint heirs with Christ, seated in heavenly places. Are you understanding what I'm saying here today? You and I, though we live in this world, and though we may be affected by this world, you and I can take heart. We can be encouraged. Why? Because Jesus has overcome, and as a result of him overcoming, we as well has overcome. So I was thinking about, how can I illustrate to you a practical way to illustrate that though you and I are Christians and though we serve God to the best of our ability, that the world around us and all the wicked systems and all the difficulties of life, it may affect us. And how do we keep it from controlling us? And I've actually want to use the term about, and I've titled the message today, degrease. So get the grease of this world sinfulness on us. How do we degrease or get it off of us? And so I wanted to illustrate that a little bit about just we have to live in this world. By I made a little video, and I, I hope you would humor me and watch it with me for just a moment. And a couple days ago, we started realizing that my daughter's brakes were having uh, you know, some difficulties, and we need to do a brake job. And so I said, hey, Mariah, let's, let's do a, job, uh, a brake job on your car. And we videoed it and made a little illustration out of it. So if you would, for a moment, just watch this as Mariah and I fix her brakes and hopefully make an illustration that you can understand.
Thank you, guys. You guys are so sweet and gracious. I hope that that illustrates a little bit. We're in this world. You can't do the job of serving God in this world without getting some grease on you. You can't accomplish the task for which we've been given life to live in this world without getting a little bit of the world's funk and junk on top of us. And so with that being said, I want to point out a couple truths um, just about us. And if I could use the the word sinfulness or wickedness or whatever it may be, I want to use the term greasiness uh, to illustrate that. And so here, Here's, here's truths about the greasiness of this world. Let me give you a couple of truths about the greasiness of the world in which we live. Number one, ready? Number one, and that is, it's greasy. It's greasy. We live in a wicked world. It's greasy. There is just a lot of wickedness out there. You thought, you, you, you can't believe that there are people that are prejudiced out there. They are. You can't believe there are people that want to hurt people. There is. You can't believe that everybody at your job is not a nice person. That's the life that we live. We live, if you will, in a greasy, sinful world. But Jesus said, take heart, because I've overcome. You're going to have troubles. You're going to get grease all over you. But take heart, because I've overcome. Here's the second truth about this greasy world, and that is that grease will have an effect on you. That grease of this world will have an effect on you. I'm sorry, it just will. How many Christians do I know that are struggling with depression right now? Why? Because the world in which they live. Because the the effects of those around them who aren't serving God. The effects of just the the things of this world and this worldly life. Some of you are struggling again with sin habits. Why? Because you've gotten grease on you. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you're not serving Jesus. It's not that if you died you wouldn't go to heaven. What's happened is you live in a wicked and fallen state world, if you will. And as a result, that affects you. It comes upon your life and affects you. In fact, Jesus is qualified. When the moment that someone goes from the outside being affected to the inside being affected, and I want you to study with me for, for a moment, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25. And look what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus, the only time we see Jesus lose his mind in anger and frustration is with the hypocrites or the, the religious leaders of his day. And see, what has happened with the religious leaders of his day is they've gotten the grease of this world on the outside, but because they've lived with it on the outside so much, it is now seeped into the inside. And Jesus says, you might clean the outside, but you've allowed the inside to stay wicked. And as a result, you are a hypocrite. And he qualifies what a hypocrite, hypocrite is what has caused them or what the, the, the signs of a hypocrite are. And that's number one, greed, and number two, self-indulgence. He says, listen, you're supposed to be a follower of Jehovah God. You're supposed to be an example to a lost and dying world. But this world system has gotten not just on you, but it's gotten in you. And the proof of that is that you're greedy and that you're self-indulgent. Now, when we use the word greedy, a lot of times the first thing that comes to our mind is, you know, that two-year-old in the nursery that won't share their toy. with They're greedy, if you will. But you and I both know that greed is so much more than whether or not we'll share. Greed has so much more to do with how you and I respond to the things of God. That greed, I want it my way way. I want it right now. I don't care what you think. It's all about me. And these are the pieces of greed. Then self-indulgence. We understand what self-indulgence is. Though, though the Bible teaches us to lay down the former ways of life, the perversion of the life of the past, the anger, the hatred towards people who've done us wrong. And the Bible tells us to live in forgiveness, to live in purity. But, uh, but the person who is still wicked on the inside is self-indulgent. We do what we want to do when we want to do it. No one can tell us what to do. Why? Because we 
are the master of our own life. And that's what he's calling hypocrites. He's saying you can tell that you're a hypocrite, if you will, paraphrased, of course, because you're full of greed and indulgence. And what I would use that as an illustration here in, in, our, in our piece is that though the sinfulness of this world has gotten on the outside of you, if you're not careful, it'll start getting back on the inside of you. And what was pure and what was right and what was clean has now become a hypocrite. And you and I all know people that we've called hypocrites. You're supposed to be serving God, but you live like this. You're a hypocrite. You say this, but you do something else because you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Can I just explain to you? This world will affect us. And the key component is though it gets on the outside of us, we should never allow it to get on the inside of us. Though our, though our outside may be affected and, you know, we got to fight through some depression. we got to fight through some lust. we got to fight through some anger. we got to fight through some, you know, some selfish ambition. We're fighting through. It's when we let it on the inside and we say, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, that it's now taken over. And that's what he's rebuking them for. It will affect you. And if you will, the grease left unchecked will go to the third thing. And here's the third thing that it'll do. And that is it will affect those around you. What's on you now will affect those around you. As you saw us working on that car, I, I, I couldn't help it. I got grease all over me. To do the job, I had to get grease all over me. It's just, way, it's just what had to happen. Why? Because I had to get down in there and live in this world. I have, you can't just go live in a bubble. Oh, I'm on a mountainside. And I just experienced God all day long. And everyone around me are believers who love the Lord. Right. So where do you buy toilet paper at? And where do you pay your gas bill at? And how do you get back and forth from work? And who do you bump into who are struggling with their own belief system and the effects of this world system on your life? And then what happens is as you and I begin to be affected we don't realize it, but we begin to affect those around us. As I started getting down into this grease and working on that, we finished a job and I was going to get in the car and move it. But then I realized if I get in the car, I'm going to put grease all over the steering wheel, all over the seats. I can't go about doing and touching everything that I normally touch because I'll get grease all over it. And I've got to get this grease off of me. I've got to just, if you will, cleanse this off of me. And can I just say it to you like this? So I don't know if I really believe that point. Well, let me just, let me help you understand the point I'm trying to make. Have you ever... I don't know about your house, but around our house, we got a little saying. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. If mama had a bad day, we all about to have a bad day. Are you with me? Say amen. And what that means is if somebody did mama dirty, she's going to come home and we all going to be like, oh, man, we got to deal with this, right? Or same thing with dad or whoever else. Why? Because what has affected us, we accidentally, if you will, begin to affect others around us. That's why it's so important that you and I learn how to cleanse this world system off of us on a daily basis because I'm believing that your children will serve the Lord all their days. And I'm believing that your bad attitude that came from your grandfather to your dad to you won't be on your children. I'm believing with you that we'll cleanse all that stuff on a daily basis so that you don't have to be a person. Your children doesn't ha- don't have to be and have the same struggles that you had simply because you learned how to cleanse so that it didn't affect them from your past and the way you've lived. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. Here's the fourth truth that I would tell you. And again, with this illustration about Greece, and that is Jesus has provided cleaning agents. He's provided cleaning agents. Aren't you excited about that? That he doesn't just save us and transform us, but he gives us the tools to daily cleanse, if you will, from this old, nasty world, junk stuff, if you will. Uh, 
a couple years ago, it's been probably not even two years yet, Jamie and I were with um, another group of pastors and their wives, and uh, our pastor put together a group of uh, pastors, and just kind of so we could have some camaraderie and things like that. And we were all sitting in his living room, and uh, there was a good 10, 15 pastors. They were all big mega church pastors, and they went around the room just kind of telling their story. We got to this one guy, and he said, well, he said, I'm so grateful for pastor so-and-so, you know, inviting me to this. He goes, you know, he said, last year, uh, I found myself in a real bad spot. He said, our church was exploding, doing so good. We were just changing the world. He said, but the pressure of being a pastor, hearing everyone, trying to counsel everyone through the mess that they're going through and listening to them and them throwing up on me all day long and, and trying to help, you know, not let the thing fall apart as a, Satan's attacking it from every angle. He said, I found myself in the middle of the night, kids in bed, wife sound asleep, going and getting the keys to my Jeep and driving it out to the local railroad tracks, putting my Jeep on the local railroad track, sitting in it, waiting for the 2 a.m. train to come and hit me and kill me and commit suicide. He said, the Lord was gracious, and and I came to my senses, and I got off that track. He said, but it all came to a head just about a month or so after that incident. He said, we were at a big pastor's conference. We're at this big fancy hotel in in the ballroom where all the conference was happening. And I was, you know, we were staying, you know, up eight floors up in the room. And and I just, it it came on me again, and I decided I was going to kill myself. In a pastor's conference, I got out on the balcony, was going to jump. And my wife is screaming and yelling, and she goes and gets some other pastors, and they come in. They pull me off the balcony, save my life. And then he points to the lead pastor in the room. He says, and then they took me, and they brought me to a Christian therapist. And, and I spent weeks, months uh, down isolated, took me out of the pulpit, took me away from my church so that I could be ministered to. And so he says, and I just want you to know, you know, that it turned around, and I'm just happy to be alive today, and I just want to give the Lord praise. And so everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you know your pastor, if you know me, I'm like, uh-uh, no, that ain't enough. I got to know some other stuff up in here. And so afterwards, we're all kind of standing around and say, like, hey, hey, bro, let me talk to you. I said, so, so I understand the problem. I understand that, the, if you will, the world's junk got on you. But why? What happened there? He goes, he goes Adam, I'll be honest with you. He said, you know, the Christian therapist tried to go all down deep into my past. And was it this that happened with your first marriage? Was it this that happened? And he said, and we dealt with all that. But he said, but really, that wasn't, it was, none of that was really the solution. He said, or really was the problem. He said, what had happened was, over the last couple of years, I had just forgot how to cleanse. He said, I just forgot to read my Bible for the sake of loving Jesus, not for the sake of a sermon. He said, I found that I was just praying So the church would grow, not so that I would know God better. He said, and all it took was getting back to the spiritual disciplines, just one little transformation piece of going back to the practicums of daily Christian walk, cleansing the junk of this world. He said, instead of it all building up and me wanting to go kill myself, he said, I remembered how to go back to a daily cleansing process to keep it from destroying my life. And man, when he said that, it it, it shook me on the inside. Because I realized I pastor a group of people who love God with all their heart, but you live out in this horrible worldly system. And if you're not careful and you come to churches every now and again, that stuff begins to pile up on the outside and then it begins to seep on the inside. And I'd be doggone if I'm going to let you get your life destroyed. So I want to teach you today how to degrease. Is that okay? Can I help you with that? Say yes. Teach you how to degrease. So let me give you a couple thoughts straight out of Scripture, if you will. First and foremost, how to degrease. Number one, you got to get to that private time with Jesus. you got to get to that private time with Jesus. I know that sounds simple, but if it's so simple, then why aren't we doing it? And so Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13, it says, and when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately 
to a solitary place. When Jesus heard what happened, what did he do? He withdrew by boat, where? Privately, to where, excuse me? A solitary place. So what's it talking about? What happened? Well, if you back up earlier in that passage, what's transpired is John the Baptist has been beheaded. This is his bro. This is his cousin. This is his forerunner. This is the guy that pointed and said, here comes the Savior of the world. John the Baptist had been in prison because though he be a mighty evangelist, a mighty man of God, Herod had gotten mad at him because he was preaching and calling, and calling Herod out because Herod had literally put his, took his brother, stole his brother's wife from him, and Herod had married his brother's wife. And John was telling him, that's sin. You can't do that. You can't do that and call yourself a follower of Jehovah. And so Herod had him in prison. And one night, Herod has this big party. A bunch of, everybody's getting drunk out of their mind. All of a sudden, his, his daughter comes in, his stepdaughter comes in, and she starts dancing. And everybody's like, what, 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 what? And so at the end of it, everybody's so stoked about how sexual she danced that he said to her, he said, I'll give you, ask whatever you want. I'll give you up, because again, he's in a drunken stupor, up to half of my kingdom. And she goes over to her mama and she says, what, what should I ask for? She says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Because she's been embittered that John's been calling them adulterers for what they're doing. And so in that moment, they went and cut John's head off and brought it on a platter to King Herod. When Jesus gets the news, you understand he is Messiah. Power flows through him. He could have just fried everybody. He could have showed up at the palace and went, and Herod would have went, boom. I can imagine that he's probably a little ticked off. I would imagine that this world system has now affected him. Are you with me? I would imagine that the wickedness in this world has now caused him to not have the same joy that he had just an hour before. I would imagine that he's affected by the wickedness in this world. And the Bible says that what does he do? He doesn't sit there and go, I can't, but get all your swords. Let's go, let's go storm the castle. That's not what he does. He says, hey, listen, I need some time with God. I got to go. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out, you know, in the wilderness. I just, I just need to be alone with the Father. And I would imagine he got there with the Father. I, would, I guarantee he poured his heart out. He said, Dad, I can't, I don't want to deal with this, man. These people all deserve to die. But yet I'm going to die for them. I would imagine that he had to fight through the frustration and the agitation and the anger why? Because he saw injustice. in her. I mean, how many of us, the moment we see something in, uh, that's not just and, and, and that's wrong, we, wanna, we just want to deal with it. And Jesus said, I, 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 I'm going mm, to have to, I got to break away, man. Y'all, y'all go ahead. I need to be private with the Father. Why? Because he had to work those things out. I don't understand why you and I are so quick to keep trying to do this in our own strength. And what happens is the buildup of that grease because you and I don't know how to get with the Father and just sit. I, I, I would so challenge you. I would challenge you. Put the kids in bed. Turn the TV off, man. Stop, 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 stop jumping on Facebook once you finally get in bed. And I would challenge you to go sit with the Lord. And just say to your spouse, hey, listen, I got to go. I'm going to be, you know, in the back room. You take the living room. I just need to be with God. Because, man, this thing going on at work has just got me. Because, you know, this thing that's happened in our family with our cousin, I just, I just got to go be with God for a moment. I got to get this off of me because it's affecting me. It's affecting my faith. It's affecting my, my energy level. It's affecting, I feel anxiety. I feel stress. Come on, somebody. You and I need to learn to do what Jesus did and just go have a private moment with the Father. Just break away. Say, I can't deal with this right now. And you and I need to be sincere. God, I can't do it. I, don't, I need your help. I don't want to be like you asked me to be and forgive those who've despitefully abused me.
I don't want to. Lord, that's my want to, but I trust you to help me and let God deal with it. Here's the second thing I would teach you to do, and that is to daily get in the Word. You want to get the grease off of you? you got to daily get in the Word. The book of Ephesians is explaining our relationship in chapter 5 of Ephesians, our relationship to Jesus. And it calls him the groom, and we the church, male and female, his bride. And, and, and it presents to us that there's going to be this moment at the end of all of humanity that Jesus is going to bring the church like a bride before the Father. And it says it like this in verse 13, and when G, uh, excuse me, in uh, verse 26 of chapter 5, and that Jesus is going to cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In other words, yes, we're going to be in this world. Yes, we're going to get spots on our garments, but that Jesus will cleanse us by washing us with the word. See, his word will wash you. His word will cleanse you. It's, it's the all-powerful word of God that's been already spoken and written down for our, our ability to consume it. And I would so challenge you. I would so challenge with all the technology that we have. You understand, in that iPhone, in that LG phone that you have in your hand right now, that's sitting beside you or sitting in your purse or whatever, in your hand right now, there is more technology than what they had on the Apollo 11 to put men on the, on the moon. Do you understand, in the palm of your hand, you can download a quick Bible app. You can, you, with a, the, you can have the Bible read to you every day. You understand there are so many Bible devotions out there with a scripture and an explanation. There is no reason for you and I not to get the word of God in us. Because as we get it, it's like soap. It begins wa- cleansing her through the washing of the word. God wants to cleanse us through his word. Because what? Because all of a sudden now our hearts, our minds line up with what his word says. It cleanses us from this world system. Last week, I was just reading in my personal time with the Lord, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. And I was like, oh, it's so cool, man. It said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. And he goes on to say, because this is what they did to the prophets before you. Rejoice and be glad when people talk bad about you, when people falsely accuse you, when they say all kinds of evil against you. Unbeknownst to me, a couple days later, Miss Jamie, in her private time with the Lord, in her daily Bible reading, she found that same passage and just was like, Lord, why do you keep bringing that to my attention? This is amazing. And then we didn't know that come this past Friday that there literally would be a false accusation against the leadership of the city, which Miss Jamie's a part of. And I want you to know, we were so excited. We were like, yes! Because just days earlier, God had prepped us for it. Because we were reading his word. It was like he covered us with protection. So when the splat of grease hit, it's just kind of dripped right off. Because we had already covered ourselves in the word. And so we weren't mad. We were like, I mean, I wasn't the normal husband. Like, I will make them pay for saying that's a lie. I'm going to go fix it. That's my normal tendency, right? Because of the world system. But man, I just was at peace. Jamie was at peace. We were like, oh, praise the Lord. Our integrity will stand because there's nothing been done wrong here. God will work it out. We just bless those who are cursing us. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord God, to bring truth out. And we just went on about our day. Didn't shake us. Didn't bake us. Didn't cause us to be in trouble in, in our hearts and our minds. Why? Because of the washing of the word. The word had already cleansed any kind of selfish ambition in us. And we're just like, whatever, God, you got this under control. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't get into the daily word, you'll find the junk sticking to you. Here's the third thing I would teach you to do. And that is straight out of 1 Peter chapter 5. And that is cast your cares upon the Lord. Cast your cares upon the Lord. And again, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him. Because what? Because he actually cares for you. You keep trying to carry all this stuff. Instead of casting your cares upon the Lord. 
We might would even call that prayer a daily engagement of the Lord. Some prayer is like, Lord, I want you to bless my family and bless the world, bless all the poor kids around the world. That's good. But there's the moments as we go through this life and the grease of life gets on us that you and I have to learn to pray a little different, and that is, oh, God, I can't deal with this. I cast this upon you. I can't carry this. I can't fix this. I can't change this. I did it, and I got us in this. God, I need you to carry this. I need you to fix, because you care about me is what you said. And so, Lord, I cast my anxiety. I cast my cares or burdens on you, knowing that you care for me. See, some of you, that's why you got spiritual hernias inside of you because you've been carrying burdens that you weren't supposed to carry. You've been carrying anxiety that you're not supposed to carry. You're supposed to cast it upon the Lord. You're supposed to throw it upon the Lord and say, Lord, I can't carry it. So you say, well, how, what does that really look like? Well, let me just tell you a scenario and how I would say that this could play out. So you're sitting in a meeting at work, and I don't know, you know what type of work you work, but just imagine you're sitting there around the conference room, and you guys are giving your weekly report about what's happened, and another employee begins to accuse you that because you didn't do your job right, it's affected their department, and they begin to attack you, and you look, you're looking at the boss, and the boss is looking at you like, yeah, they're right, and you're starting to feel this thing well up inside of you to want to begin to stab everybody in the room. Let me tell you what you do. You cast your care upon the Lord, and it should look something like this. Hey, guys, time out. Can I run to the restroom? I'll be right back. I just give me just a moment. And then you get in that restroom, you lock that door, and you say, Jesus, Jesus, I need you right now because I want to stab everybody in that room because I'm being falsely accused. I've done my job to the best of my ability. But, Lord, at the same time, if I've made a mistake, let me be able to be humble and let me be able to see it, Lord God. I just want to get better, and I want to do good for this company. So, Lord, before I say anything stupid, before I do anything dumb, I just cast this on you, and I ask you to care for me in this moment. Then you walk back in that room, and you sit down at that table, and you say, now, guys, where were we at with that? Because God is so good, man. I just want to do my best. How can we fix this? See, the difference in the way when that worldly grease gets on us and when we go immediately and say, let me wash this off real quick because I'm about to kill every, bless you. I'm going to get in here and get this off before it begins to stain down through into my heart. You know, I have to learn to cast our cares upon the Lord. Here's the fourth and final piece that I would teach you, and that is you've got to engage other Christians We call that small group here, engaging other Christians. I told you this last week, I believe. Some of you, I don't know why you keep doing this. You begin to get in difficult times, and you begin to ask everybody but Jesus and everybody but other good Christians, and good by I mean committed Christians, about advice. And you keep asking the same person about what you should do about your marriage, and they're working on their fourth marriage. Why would you ask them? Or you've got this person that you work with, and oh, they went to Bible school back 20 years ago, but they're bitter, they're a pervert, and they keep, well, I read the whole Bible. I tell you what, I tell you what you ought to do is, and you ought to do this, and you're listening to them. Why would you do that? It's only causing you more stress and strain and more junk on you. And what the Bible teaches us to do, look at this passage right here in James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your sins to Jesus. I just seeing if you're paying attention. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Healed. He actually created his church, the body of Christ, to need each other. He actually created that we need each other. And when we confess our sins to one another, it creates this 
place of God healing us. You really sense the cleansing of all the mess that's starting to make us sick. He heals us as we confess one to another. And I don't know why you think that just by coming to church that that's going to fix it. That's good. It does some cleansing. You're right. You get in, you worship God, and you get that, the soap of the Holy Spirit all over you, and it starts cleaning off some stuff. My friend, you, once a week is not going to save your life. What you and I need to do is have daily cleansings, daily degreasings, as we're calling it with this message. We need to have other believers that we're engaging with, that are there for us, that we're inter- interacting with, that are praying for us. I, I don't know why you think you can make it on your own without any help. Jesus didn't even do that. He surrounded himself with 12 imperfect dudes and lived his life with them and ministered with them, strengthening one another, caring for one another. And I'm sorry, here at Church on the Hill, we didn't know what else to call that. So we called it small group. We didn't know what else to call it. We didn't want to call it pods. Be a part of a pod. We didn't want to say anything that came across occultic. You need a special circle of other Christians. We didn't know anything else to call it but small group. But unfortunately, what happens is when you hear that term, it immediately brings up thoughts about what you've done in other churches or in the past or something like that. In fact, some of you think small group is a meeting. It's got to be a meeting. It's got to be every week and we can't miss it. Listen, can I just say something? We don't want you having more meetings. Think about this. If you were having a meeting, a small group meeting, every Friday night, 52 weeks in a year, I don't know about you, but I'm a busy dude. We, we have kids that are playing sports and things like that. I can't be at your house every Friday night, not to mention that we come to that house every Friday night. We're going to have Bible study, call it small group, whatever. The kids are going to be in the back tearing up your back bedroom and, uh, and eating all your food and destroying your carpet and running through your lawn trying to get out in the rain and all this. And after a while, you're going to be like, I don't want y'all ever to come to my house again. That's not what we're doing. In fact, we don't need a bunch of more meetings. We got the best meeting ever right here on Sundays. Just come to this for a meeting. What we need is something different. And let me explain to you what small groups are for Church on the Hill. There are two factors for small group. Put it on the screen for them, please. Two factors. Number one, that we take spiritual responsibility for each other. That you've got a group of people that know that you're struggling and are praying for you. That they take a right responsibility. Where you at, man? I'm texting you. Hey, you haven't been in service in a couple weeks. You okay? Is everything okay with your wife? Man, how are y'all doing with that thing? Anything I can pray about? Number two, that we do life together. And we do life. Small group's not supposed to be another meeting. It's supposed to do life together. I don't know about you, but my life is busy. I don't need somebody. I don't need to have more meetings. I need somebody to text me in the middle of the day and say, I love you. I got you, baby. We got a small group that we started a couple weeks ago with Tony and Amy. They're magnificent folks. And they still had this old concept. And so we just asked them, would you love, there are new people coming to the church, and they don't have any friends, they don't have any Christian friends, and their old worldly friends are trying to pull them back in. Would you just engage with them a little bit? They said, yeah. So they started a small group. So they started having meetings at their house. Three weeks into it, they're like, we hate this. They've destroyed the trampoline. They broke down. They tore up. Uh, they, look, they've been through more toilet paper than we know what to do with. We're broke because we're trying to feed all these suckers. And there are 30 kids and only 20 adults. We don't want to do this anymore. And we were like, finally, now you're going to listen. That's not what we're doing. We're doing life together. We just want you to get a, a group of people and love on them and do life together. So they got smart. They said, oh, it clicked for them. Do life together. Oh. So they started a group me for just their small group. And every day, all throughout the day, that group me is going ding, 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 ding. Hey, guys, pray for me. I've got an interview right now. Would y'all pray for me? I'm believing God that I'm going to get this, this promotion. Okay, we're all praying. Oh, that's cool, Jim. We're praying for you. Susan, you're so amazing. Boom, boom, boom. I got it. Yeah. 
day and just praying for one another, working through group me, text messaging back and forth, hitting each other on social media, praying, doing great things, visiting each other. And whenever they all go to get together, they try to do it as much as they can. It ends up being maybe once a month to get everybody in the same place. And let me tell you something else. They'll go over to Starbucks and they'll just kind of sit and drink coffee. Or if they're going to have the kids, a bunch of them will go over to, you know, Chick-fil-A, let the kids run up and down the slide, murder each other, learn how to conflict resolution in the playground while they sit there and pray with each other. It's magnificent doing life together. That's what Jesus was intending when he said, let us not forsake the gathering. Let's get together. Let's do life together. Some of you keep thinking you're going to do it by yourself. And, and the Bible says if we'll confess our sins one to another so that we can experience healing. And you're out there trying to make this thing happen. you got this world stuff. you got all this junk that you're going through. And as a result, it's sticking to you. And what you need is brothers and sisters in Christ to come over there and help you out, even with the things you can't see. Uh, last night, my son came. Uh, he was on his way to something nice, and, and he walked past me. Where I was at the house sitting, on, sitting uh, on the couch, and he comes walking past me. I said, hey, son, are you about to go somewhere? He goes, yeah. I said, uh, you, are you going to wear those pants? Where are you going? He goes, yeah, what's wrong with them? I said, well, I don't know, but whatever you sat in on the back of it is pretty nasty looking. He turned around. He couldn't see it. He had all kinds of junk all on his backside, on that, inner th- on that back thigh, and that kind of stuff. He goes, oh, my goodness. And so, you know, I, there, I then we got the roller brush, and we tried to get it all off of him before he went in front of everybody else. So you don't see what you don't see. And that's why we need the other brothers and sisters in our life. Not the ones that go, oh, good, I'm glad you got some of that, too, because I got some of that. Now I don't have to worry about what I got. You know, I, we got enough of those kind of people in our life. We need people to say, hey, I've had that before, and let me tell you something. we got to get that off. Let me help you with that. This is the degreasing process. Number one, that you and I break away, and we say, God, i got to be with you. I need some private time with Jesus. Hey, y'all go do what y'all going to do. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going I'm to stop all that, and I'm going to go sit with Jesus until he speaks to me. i got to get this junk off of me because I'm really frustrated right now. Number two, daily in the Word. You daily get that soap of the Word. You start applying it. And I'm going to tell you something. You apply it now when you don't need it. And when it's there, come on, somebody. When you do need it, it'll be there to sustain you. Get that Word of God. Begin to start working in you, prepping you, and, 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 and helping you divert the, the wickedness of this world. And the, the third thing, as we taught you, is that you and I need to cast our burdens, cast our cares, our anxieties on Him. you got to learn to do that. Stop carrying all this in yourself. And then the fourth thing that we see Holy Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to be the body of Christ coming together. You've got to connect with other Christians. You say, well, you know what? It's been so hard for me to do that. And I understand some of you don't do that real well. But at the end of the day, does anybody even care that you are alive? Is there anybody praying for you? See, I pray for you generally every day. But is anybody praying for what you're going through, what your stepson just texted you? Anybody else know about that? Anybody know that you got a bad report from the doctor and you could end up in the hospital in the next couple of weeks? Well, I'm expecting you to know, Pastor. How am I going to do that? we got thousands of people in this church. How are we going to do that? How can I be there and, and at your house and know you? And, and That's not even what he intended, that we were supposed to connect as the body. Have each other's back. Anybody got your back? Anybody looking at you saying, hey, man, I really don't think you should talk to your wife like that, bro. I've been down that road. Don't do that. Come on, I got your back. You got mine taking spiritual responsibility for you as you take your spiritual responsibility for them. Doing life together. Do you have anybody like that? That's a scary place to be in if you don't. I've been there before. And that's how you end up crashing the whole thing. Oh, but friends, when you and I begin to allow the cleansing elements of the Holy Scripture, there's more fasting, all those kind of pieces. These are kind of the big ones that I see in Scripture for you and I. But as we begin to degrease, degrease, 
This world system will not destroy us, for we are in the world, but not of it. Come on, would you stand with me all across the room? Hope that's helped you a little bit tonight. I want to raise up a generation of ministers and leaders and and folks in this church that actually can uh, walk uprightly all their days. I don't want to look at you a year or two from now after you've tried to hang yourself. I don't want to look at you after you've gone through two more divorces because you couldn't keep it together simply because you didn't know how to degrease. And you let the things of this world begin to dominate your life. No, I want to raise you up to be men and women of valor who know how to cleanse and get that stuff off of you. I want you to bow your heads with me all across the room and close your eyes for just a moment. You know, we went through these four how-tos tonight. Maybe you would be honest and say, Pastor, I don't ever get along with the Lord. I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Friend, can I tell you, everybody's busy. But that stuff's starting to pile up on you. The stress of this world. The anger about why things aren't happening the way you thought they would. And you've got to learn to get away. Jesus himself had to. When his precious friend was unjustly murdered, humiliated, horror went down through the believing community as this great prophet, this great evangelist was killed. First thing Jesus did was he, he broke away and went to a solitary place. He didn't pay back evil with evil I want to challenge you right now where you're standing to make a commitment to the Lord to break away with him over the next couple of days an hour two hours back bedroom change what you normally do and go be with Jesus and let him begin to cleanse some of those areas some of you gotten sloppy again like my friend the pastor who tried to commit suicide and you only read the word because you feel guilty You're not reading it to prep yourself, to know God, to enjoy who he is. Get back on there. Download that app tonight before you go to bed. Go find a good good devotional plan that's online and begin to let it, you know, give you a push notification every morning when you wake up and you can read it. And others of us, you've been carrying that burden. You haven't even sought the Lord. You haven't even tried to cast it off. You just allowed it to dominate your life. You think about this thing. You carry this thing. It's time to cast it upon the Lord and be honest with yourself. Say, God, I can't carry this. I can't carry the financial load of this family. Lord, I don't know how to fix it. Lord, I, I got us in this debt. I don't know how to get us out. I need you, Jesus. I cast it on you. I'm asking you to give me wisdom. I'm asking you to give me a miracle. I don't know how to fix this marriage, Jesus. I don't know how to do it. I can't, I, I, I'm carrying this thing. I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I can't do it. It's killing me. I need you. I need, I cast it. I know you care for me. Jesus, I don't know how to overcome this sin habit. I just go right back to it. I don't know how to stop this thing. Cast it upon him for he cares for you. And then some of you, even in a crowd of a thousand people, you're so lonely. Nobody knows you. You never allowed anybody to get real deep into relationship with you. You haven't developed that. You haven't cultivated those relationships. We call them small groups here at Church on the Hill. Nobody's taking spiritual responsibility for you, and you're not taking spiritual responsibility for anybody else. You're not really doing life with anybody. Yeah, you got your family, you got your kids and your cousins and your and your you know your your mom and dad, things like that. Those are all good relationships, but those aren't the kind of relationships that are going to call you on your junk. Those aren't the kind of relationships that are going to say, "Hey, listen, you got something on your backside." That's not the kind of relationships that's actually going to be a safe place for you to confess your sins that you may be healed I will challenge you challenge you to reach out Church on the Hill 
Reach out to some other Christians in this community and start doing some life together. Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room, every man and woman connected to church on the hill. Daddy, I want to pastor them well, and I admit I don't know how to do that, but I know you do. And Lord, I understand, Lord God, that I can't keep their marriages together. I, I, there's no way Adam McCain can be such a great minister that, that they never have you know, these moments of depression where they want to kill themselves, where they, where, they, where they never have this sense of same-sex attraction. I can't do any of that. Only you can, Jesus. But Lord, they have to walk in obedience to what you've already laid out in your word. And Lord God, we live in a horrible world system. And so Lord, I'm asking you right now as we humble ourselves and we ask for help and we declare that we're going to be faithful in the cleansing process, that Lord God, that you would strengthen, that you, Lord God, would give miracles, Lord, where there seems to be overwhelming difficulty. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that, Lord, though we may be in this world, that we not be of it, that each and every one of these great men and women of God would learn that daily they have to cleanse. Daily they have to get that stuff off of them. If they don't, they're going to start putting those, those grease prints on every child, on, 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 their, on, their, on their partner. They're going to put that greasy mess of this world system. They're going to they're start putting it on people around them. Lord God, you've got to help us cleanse, oh God. And may we have a revelation of that today with today's message. And then, Jesus, we need you like never before to give us strength. You left us in this world, but you prayed to the Father, and he's protecting us. And so we embrace that whole concept. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give an opportunity. Maybe you say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm, I don't just have grease on the outside. I've got grease on the inside. Man, I'm just so wicked. And everybody thinks I'm a good guy or a good gal, but the truth of the matter is I'm in rebellion against God. I I really don't serve the Lord. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to serve God, but life happened. I just looked up one day and I'm separated or divorced from God. I I came to church today. You know, in my heart, I do want God. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not in relationship with him. I can't say that we're best friends. When you talk about Jesus, Pastor Adam, the way you talk about him being like your best friend, I don't have that relationship. And I want that. I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to repent of my sins. I want Jesus in my life. Friends, I got good news. God loves you. This is a holy, special moment. And this is a safe place. In fact, I would give a call tonight for anyone who would say, you know what, I'm not sure if I die tonight, I'd go to heaven. Well, let's don't leave this place like that. I'd like to pray with you. You say, well, Pastor, I do want to change, but well, what do I do? Well, the Bible's real clear about that. It's real simple. He says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he said he'll do. You don't have to do a whole lot. Why? Because he did it all 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross. He paid for it all. Do you realize that 2,000 years ago, he paid for every sin that you will ever commit. I picture it like this, that there's an account with every one of our names. We have an account with our names on it. And every sin that we ever will commit has already been prepaid for, already been covered. He said, ooh, that's amazing. How do I access that? Well, just by what I told you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ. And he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, that sounds so easy. No one should know the heavy lifting he did. So tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. This is a deep, private decision I want you to consider. Is it not time for you to serve God? Aren't you tired of living the way you're living? Aren't you, aren't you embarrassed that, that you are still got hidden sin on the inside? Don't you want to make that right? I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to point you out. I want you to have a good moment with God. 
and I'd like to connect the two of you together tonight. So with no one looking around, if I'm speaking to you, God's tugging at your heart, and you're ready to make it right with God, and you want me to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, no one's looking, would you just slip your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Slip your hand up in the air and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm ready to serve God. I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm ready for a change. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I don't want to live like this. God bless you, buddy. Anybody else? God's dealing with your heart. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, sweet love. Just give you a couple seconds to ponder. Is it time for you? Are you ready? God bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand back down. It's a sweet moment with God. While all your hands are down, I want to lead you now in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance, a prayer of making the relationship right. I explain it like this to my friends. If we were all out at a party, and my best friend Jesus was there, and you're my new friend, and I wanted to introduce you, I'd go grab you by the hand, I'd bring you over, and I would start the conversation and let you begin to develop the relationship. That's what this prayer of repentance is. It's me connecting you. There's nothing magical about the words we're about to pray. What's supernatural is that you want a relationship with the living God. And so tonight, if you lifted your hand, I want you to say this prayer with all of your heart and mean it from the depths of who you are. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, tonight I admit I'm a sinner. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I ask you now to forgive me of my sins. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. Come on, for me, Jesus, I ask you now, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, who said that prayer with all sincerity, who cried out to you in purity of heart, that right now they would feel the forgiveness. They would sense it. They would know that they don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church to be, to be forgiven. They are forgiven because they asked. They are cleansed because they cried out to you and you are responding. Let the supernatural sense that they belong to you right now overtake their way of thinking. And Lord, I pray from this point forward that as you cleanse the inside and as you begin to help them cleanse the outside, that Lord God, that this new journey that they're on, this new relationship with you will begin to develop so fast and so exciting that when they look up at this thing a year or two later, they can't, I can't believe this. Lord, that literally their friends, their coworkers, a couple months from now say, dude, what has happened to you? And they'll be able to say, man, I gave my life to Jesus. He's just been doing so much cool stuff in me. And I'm, man, I'm telling you, I'm different. God's changing me. I don't want... I don't want to go to the clubs anymore. I don't want to smoke dope anymore. I don't want that. I don't want to be a pervert anymore. He changed me on that night there at Church on the Hill as Pastor Adam led me in a prayer of repentance. Father, let these be things be true and everything else a lie. We seal it now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said amen and amen.